0: Anything happening in your life right now that you would term out of your control? Something that you wake up thinking about, go to bed thinking about? Financial issue maybe? Will the loan come through? Will the company downsize? Will I keep my job? Will I get the job I'm looking for? Maybe it's a child who's making bad decisions and you can't control him or her. Will the diagnosis be dire? Will the surgery be successful? Or if you're like our guests today, the question is, will we be able to have children or will the adoption come through? If you feel out of control, I want you to hear from Lauren and Michael McAfee because they've been through some really deep waters of unmet expectations. And the byproduct of that is, in their lives, a deeper intimacy with God. You're going to hear their story straight ahead on Chris Fabry Live. Welcome to the Radio Backyard Fence, our Monday edition of the program. Let me thank our team making the connection today. Ryan Conhe doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Anthony will be answering your calls. Our other team members are people who support us. We have partners who give each month, friends who give a one-time gift. This month, their thank you is a story from my heart. I just got a text before the program from a friend who said it was up late last night. I kept reading. I kept saying just one more chapter, just one, just one more chapter. And a, and a writer loves to hear that. He finally finished this morning. He went to bed after midnight last night, but he said, I didn't guess one of the main twists in the story, and I'm not going to give it away. I always try to keep you guessing with, with uh, my novels. Let me send you a copy of Saving Grayson. Grayson has early onset Alzheimer's. He wants to go back to his hometown and solve a mystery before his memory fades. I think it will engage your heart, your mind, your soul, might give you some comfort. And if you're struggling with someone you love who has Alzheimer's, give a gift of any size. We'll send you a copy of Saving Grayson, 866-95-FABRI is our number, 866-953-2279. Or you can give at the website chrisfabrilive.org. And speaking of fiction, I get to host the Christie Awards this Thursday night. The the Christie's celebrate excellence in Christian fiction. There's like 10 different categories. Jeanette Oak is going to be there to speak. I met Jeanette Oak back in the late 80s or early 90s. And now fast forward, you know, 30 years later, Jeanette Oak does not look any different than when she (laughs) sat in the studio back then. But if you go to um, chrisfabrylive.org and you Click the green Christie Award button there. You can come alongside us. Uh, You'll get sent a code. It's absolutely free, but you have to get the code in order to get in. They need to know how many people are going to be there. So if you want to watch the Christies and see yours truly, I'll I'll put a tie on just for you. (laughs) Click Christie, the Christie Green button at chrisfabrylive.org. Michael McAfee is president and founder of Inspire Experiences. He's a PhD student studying public theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, teaching pastor at Council Road Baptist Church in Bethany, Oklahoma. Lauren Green McAfee is founder and visionary of Stand for Life. She serves as the ministry director at Hobby Lobby. She worked with her dad, Steve Green, while he founded the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Maybe you've heard of it. She served as curator, Artifact Collect Manager and Director of Community Engagement. She is going for her PhD as well. Can you believe that? And they had time to write a book together titled Beyond Our Control, Let Go of Unmet Expectations, Overcome Anxiety, and Discover Intimacy with God. From the response we've seen just on Facebook and that question, what situation are you in that feels beyond your control today? There's a lot of people who are living this. Lauren and Michael, welcome to the program. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, we're great. Thanks so much for having us, Chris. Yeah, excited
2: to be here.
0: Let me start with this. You two both really believe that the Bible makes all the difference in the world. You believe in the power of God's Word. Lauren, you first.
1: Amen. Yeah, so we, I mean, we're blessed that we've been in faith uh, families, families that held to a strong faith conviction and Christian conviction. And so uh, we, we've both seen our parents and our family members cling to the Bible and the good times and the bad and read the Bible um, on the daily. And so mm-hmm. the Bible has been something that for us has grown to be just as important in our own lives um, in a way that we saw modeled. Mm-hmm. And And we are the first book that Michael and I wrote together actually is really a, a lot about why the Bible means something to both us, as well as why it should mean something to our world, and just the significance that it holds mm-hmm. for its influence in culture, um, but really just the truth of the gospel and why that matters for us. And so we we absolutely love the Bible, and it has been uh, the foundation yeah. for us in in everything.
2: Yeah, staked our staked our careers on it, as you mentioned. I mean, both of us have been a part of Museum of the Bible, um, but prior to its opening and, and kind of in the buildup towards it. And then um, that was, as you alluded to, the the organization I founded, Inspire, exists to inspire people to read the inspired Word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unfortunate thing from polling is, while Americans have a reverence for the Bible, uh, they don't read it uh, by and large as a, as a people, as a society. And so um, the reality is is that for a lot of people, there's often this gap between the time that they come to faith in Christ and then you know fall in love with Jesus, and then years later, fall in love with His Word, fall in love with the Scriptures. And so um, it is the Scriptures that when we dig into the Word of God and it becomes our foundation, that it becomes an anchor and a foundation for life so that even, you know, like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the wise man built his house upon the rock, that when the storms come, that we're able to withstand even the hardest storms of life. Yes.
0: So what you're talking about then with the unmet expectations and the places where God doesn't live up to what I thought he was going to do. You know, you're, you're supposed to be this. You promised mm-hmm. me this. The, the chasm is in who God really is and who I think he is or what I think he ought to do exactly. and what he has done. So this is a mm-hmm. book to give us a, a kind of a roadmap back to the heart of who God really is. And he uses the hard mm-hmm. stuff of life in order to do that. Michael, you first.
2: Mhm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely that, you know, um A.W. Tozer famously said what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, that it is understanding who God is that shapes our our worldview, our foundation. And so, you know, for for us, I mean, despite the fact that we've grown up in Christian homes, that I'm, you know, we're both involved in ministry, I'm one of the teaching pastors at our our local church and you know all these things, uh the the experiences that we went through just revealed ways that I, in my own life, was believing a false gospel um, in ways that I was just blind to. I didn't realize that in, in America, and in the Western world, we have this sense that we have full control over our lives, that we there's so many things that it feels like are within our control. And so then uh, what at least happened for me personally was I began to be lulled into this false reality that, oh, if I work hard and have a dash of optimism and, you know, am, am, am good to people and, and generally try to live a moral life, that the kind of result is A plus B equals C, that, you know, life goes the way it should, that I'm going to get married, that I'm going to have a, a, a job, that I'm going to have a home that has heat and air, that I'm going to have food on the table, that I'm going to have good health. I mean, all these things that just feel like, you know, that they are uh, completely within my control. And so for us, It was children. Children was the thing that was outside of our control, but what we began to realize was, man, that just revealed the cracks in the foundation of ways that I expected for God to um, act in such a way that sort of put him in my debt, in ways that I didn't even recognize in my own life. Even as a preacher, I was, you know, would preach against the prosperity gospel, that you can do that with God, and yet in my own life, recognizing that I allowed the American dream to warp my understanding of who God was to fit my image rather than uh, me being created in his image need to shift how I view all of life around his principles. So that's really at the heart of the book. Uh, That's what it was for me was this journey was helping me to realize how life is beyond my control and ultimately that uh, it it rests in his control alone. And so that, that was the misconceptions for me.
0: As I said before we started, uh, the the reason I pushed the, the go button on this, it didn't take me very long because you're so vulnerable, and I think your greatest ability is either availability or vulnerability, and you're both. You two are both because you were very vulnerable about the um, inability to have children. And then when you got into the adoption process, that became another part of that unmet expectation. We're going to talk about that. You have to hear the story that they're going to tell straight ahead. Lauren and Michael McAfee have written Beyond Our Control. It's just out, just came out last week. It's our featured resource. Go to chrisfabrylive.org chrisfabrylive.org The McAfees are with us today at the Radio Backyard Fence M-C-A-F-E-E Jenny Allen says of their book Beyond Our Control Michael and Lauren have walked through trials that could have broken them but instead they felt their way to Jesus they will help you do the same. And maybe you feel broken by something that is out of your control today. I want you to listen to their story in uh, Beyond Our Control. Again, it's our featured resource. Click through to today's information right there at chrisfabrylive.org. So Lauren, you, you two had adoption instead of we're going to try to have children and we can't. We're going to adoption. You had adoption there first, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so for, for me and my family, I'm actually a third generation adoptive parent. So my grandparents adopted one of my aunts and then my parents adopted one of my sisters internationally from China. And so whenever Michael and I got married, adoption was always something I had on my heart to, for us to consider someday. And so we had conversations and whenever we were Old enough to apply for an international adoption, we started the paperwork uh, right away. Literally on the day that Michael turned uh, 25, which for international adoption at that time, you had to be tw- one parent had to be 25 or older in order to apply. And and so on the on the day of his 25th birthday, I brought up the um, idea at his birthday dinner, like, "Hey, what if we start <laughs> working on the adoption paperwork and?" So that was kind of the beginning of our journey towards trying to become parents. It started with adoption and things um, certainly did not go the way we expected. Certainly uh, a lot of things beyond our control in the adoption process meant that we were over six years into the process of adoption and we still had not been able to add a child to our family. So in that in that journey, we also then started trying to grow our family through having children biologically, and we found out that infertility was going to be um, a part of our journey as well. So, really, we were pursuing all of the ways that we could think to try and grow our family, either through biological as well as adoptive, um, and and nothing was working for years and years and years, and that was that was really a challenging season of just the waiting and the doing our part and you know you kind of expect that you know it you know that growing your family is a good thing having children is a good thing and we we just kept having doors close and so we had to trust that the lord was doing something in his timing that we couldn't understand but it didn't always feel easy to trust that timing because we we just felt like year after year we were waiting and we were watching our friends start to have children and, and grow their families and then have their second children and third children. And we were still longing to have children and weren't able to. So so that there was a grief. Uh, yeah, that, how that go all started. Through.
0: Yeah. Uh, so did you experience yeah. that grief differently? Michael, was it different for you than for Lauren? Do you think?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was such a, um, it was for the most part it was such a slow realization you know because like on the adoption front as we're going through that it's a lot of of waiting right and so there was a period where after we got all of our paperwork and everything in we're just waiting and we're hearing updates every now and then and you almost forget that it's you know (laughs) that you're even because sometimes you don't think about it for you know a full day or you know days on end uh because you know it's going to be years in the making and so um and then like Lauren kind of alluded to, then it became, okay, well, maybe this is the Lord shutting this door, you know, kind of the whole, well, when God shuts a door, he opens a window. So maybe we're not supposed to start with adoption and we're going to, he's going to open up something better. We're going to get pregnant, you know, soon. And so then when that didn't happen and began seeing, you know, kind of some of the reality of us just physically, some of the challenges we were going to have realizing, oh man, this, this isn't going to be as easy as we thought it would. And again, the way that the rest of our life had been that, you know, it felt like everything else we had sort of wanted within reason in our life, we were able to just accomplish and, and this wasn't. So I think that we, we for sure, uh, kind of wrestled through it differently because we both had different, um, uh, kind of visions, desires, of what that would look like, but it was very much a shared kind of, of grief as we came to recognize, oh, this isn't going to happen and it might not happen at all. And I think that was one of the hardest points was realizing you know do we uh do we really believe that a life uh, without kids uh is is a life that God might call us to and and recognizing and wrestling with that even as we did all we knew to be able to do that and just kind of beginning to lay it back in his hands of we'd rather have a life with Jesus than a life with kids mm-hmm. and if that's what Jesus has for us we want to be obedient to follow him
0: so, so embracing what is rather than what isn't yet, or living in the future. Once we have children, once we get the adoption, and you did—you went to China, uh, Lauren, and you yeah. you saw this beautiful little girl, and she she was yeah. yours, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. So after it was almost at seven years that we had been pursuing adoption, we finally we we were matched, and we flew to China and met our daughter Zion. And brought her home with us. And so we became her parents. And it was an inc- – I mean, there's just – there's nothing quite like it to meet this child that you have been praying for and for a long time didn't know who it was. And then, you know, for a couple months we knew we knew what she looked like. We had seen her picture. And then when we finally got to be there and meeting our daughter for the first time, it was just incredible and just an instant, um, you know, Love for this 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 child that was born halfway across the world and now is our daughter and so we brought her home and it you know it was one of those things that after such a long long season of waiting and longing for um, having a child we were so grateful to finally have her and so for us to settle into that. Parenting was, uh, it was challenging, you know, first time parents, you're always, it's a, you're a whole new world. Um, So we were just getting used to the three of us and, uh, and all of a sudden after seven weeks of having her in our family, we had um, some some doctor visits just to kind of do checkups. And incidentally ended up finding out that she had a large tumor on her liver and she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, So, you know, seven weeks into parenting and then we were Thrown into a cancer diagnosis and having to figure out how to care for our one and a half year old. She was one and a half at the time, and 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 care for her and walk through hospitalizations and surgeries and chemotherapy and all of these things that had been foreign to us. Um, and that that felt really painful to think that okay, you know, we went through this season of hardship for seven years of wanting a child, and so God finally gave us this child. And for now. To us, to have this cancer diagnosis felt like we, you know, how how is this our reality? That when we finally have our daughter, now she's faced with a life threatening uh, diagnosis with cancer, and that was something that was really hard to reconcile with my views about God and His goodness, because we knew that God was in control, we knew He was sovereign, and Yet whenever you're standing in a hospital looking at your child in a hospital bed and you're not knowing if they're going to come out of this cancer, it it feels so hard to reconcile that a good God would allow this. But Michael and I both just in that season had to continue to go to scripture. The only thing that we knew would be absolute truth for us and our new, our North Star on what we know to be true and look again and again at, okay, but what is God's character? I mean, my reality makes me want to doubt his character. This pain that I'm feeling makes me doubt his character. But what does the Bible say about our God? And over and over, we are reminded that God is in control and he is good. His character is good and he has our good in mind as well as his glory. And so, may you know reminding myself of those truths was so necessary felt like every minute and to to help me just to walk through that and 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 ask god to be with us in it and when i didn't feel <laughs> didn't feel like he was a safe and trustworthy god i knew that he was and so we kept turning to him even when it was hard and yeah. and he met us there you know he was he was with us even in our darkest days
0: Okay, so the thing that I notice about when that happens, and I notice about my own life and then in others, is if I can figure it out, I can figure out what God's doing you know like Joseph he went through thrown in the pit and the Potiphar's wife and mm-hmm. all of that and he finally rises you know this is so that he could save yeah. you know you meant it for evil God meant it for good if I can figure out my right. life if I can figure out the resurrection mm-hmm. moment here you know your child gets a, a tumor and the doctor becomes a Christian or I get into an accident and the per, you know I witness to the person along the side of the, you know I, 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 if I can figure it out and and the thing that I've, uh, has happened to me is the older I get, the less I can figure out <laughs> about what God is mm-hmm. doing. Right. And it comes back right. to, do you believe, do you trust him or not? And that's right. where Ezra comes in. And I want mm-hmm. you to tell the story because now Zion is, is doing pretty well today. I mean, you can read the whole story in the book, mm-hmm. but Zion's doing pretty good, right?
1: That's right. She, she is. is almost four years into remission from her cancer. So, you know, that, that piece of our story did end with a happy, uh, ending of, you know, successful treatment and remission. And so we're very grateful for that, but not every part of our story as, as you're hinting at to, uh, does end with a happy ending.
0: Yeah. Tell me about Ezra
2: sure yeah so we um one year later we we got uh we were in the uh, adoption matching process again domestically and it worked quite differently it wasn't a seven year wait it was more closer to a seven day wait i think it was 10 days or something like that and we got matched with a um a a beautiful baby boy and brought him home Um, birth mom uh, we got to build a great relationship with her found out about him the day after he was born and and, you know all of the things and it was around christmas time is in december so we're um celebrating and uh it's at the end of 2020 and so the courts are backed up and so the court case to like you know sort of what would be you know sort of clear the pathway towards finalization uh kept getting delayed and uh what uh, took about a year later uh that in the midnight hour due to some unusual circumstances that we intentionally just kind of leave private and don't get into into the book. Um, after having Ezra as our son for a year and, and treating him as such, and um, our daughter seeing him as her little brother, uh, we were told that we had two hours to say goodbye to him, that the judge ruled in a way that our agency had never seen before, never heard of before in decades of doing uh, this work. And so um, we... We're devastated. And, um, so that was almost, uh, we're just shy of the two year anniversary mark of, mm-hmm. of this, you know, son of ours that having to say goodbye to him, of him taking away very suddenly and, uh, and we're, you know, um, still grieving very much, uh, his loss. And so we've not uh, seen or heard from him since, uh, don't have any contact, any idea how he's doing with the family that has, um, uh, that has him now and uh, pray for him regularly but yeah it's it's it doesn't have yet the happy ending and so kind of what you alluded to I mean that's uh you know you it's easy to look at life circumstances when you have one setback and it's sort of the, you know, cliche set up for something even better in life. You don't get a job promotion, but it's actually a setup for a job that's even better for you. And you don't have this relationship, uh, work out with someone you're dating and it's a setup for a marriage relationship that turns beautiful. But for this, like there's no, there's no chance at a, at a happy ending with, with Ezra. I mean, at least this side of eternity. And so that's what Part of even in writing this book, we were in the midst of writing this book, and it really became a book written by us for us, (laughs) because as we were writing beyond our control, studying and thinking about God's providence, it made me realize that so often I do exactly what you're alluding to. I want to see his good plan come to fruition in this world in my lifetime so that I can have the satisfaction of seeing the story complete. And when you have the perspective of eternity and you have the perspective of, oh, it's not about what's good in my life. It's about what brings God glory for eternity. Then it makes um, sense. It doesn't explain away all the reasons that we go through hardship or set, you know, unmet expectations in our life, but it gives context for it's that what God is doing, I can't see all of, and it may lead me not to a more uh, rich, happier, easier life. It may lead to a harder, worse life on this earth, uh, and yet it's going to lead to God's glory. And that ultimately in the end is what we are born for. What we live for is to bring worship, to bring glory to him. And so that that was part of, of walking through Ezra's story and, and having to hand over a son that we felt like we gave ourselves up for, for that year. Um, and what ended up happening was our heavenly father pointed us and used that to remind us of the fact that he gave up his own son for us all. Mm.
0: Yeah, I just want to sit and think about that though because, you know, here you've had this this little boy for a year. You've changed his diapers for a year. His little sister is watching you care for him for a year. The blankets, the the crib that you had for him and you have to take him and place him in some st- stranger's arms somebody else somebody you don't know i mean that's god what is going on here because the judge thought this what is going on here are you in a situation that is beyond your control why don't you stay with us more with michael and lauren straight ahead family stood at the front of church yesterday for a baby dedication and the pastor mentioned that when this little girl was born she was premature and he held out his hand and he said you could have put her right here right here in the palm of his hand that's how small she was and I thought what a picture of the work that CareNet is doing every day in a world where some look at the unborn as a problem an inconvenience something that will get in the way of your life Karenette is casting a pro abundant life vision for women and men and the baby. The story you're hearing today of Lauren and Michael, their two children would not be part of their family if their parents had made a different choice. I hope you'll click Karenette today at the website, chrisvabrylive.org. You'll see more of what Karenette's doing around the country in their network of 1,200 pregnancy centers that serve more than 300,000 women and men every year. It's probably going to be more this year. Free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, coaching, counseling, material support, education for parents, and a whole lot more. Click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org. Lauren and Michael McAfee are with us. Lauren, you're the founder of Stand for Life. That's a huge issue. We were talking before in the break and before the program about Roland Warren's and CareNet's ministry. Stand for Life, that's a big part of your life, isn't
1: it? yeah I absolutely love what Roland and Karenet are doing. They're just doing great work and it's a joy to get to partner and work alongside them in the good work of caring for families and and caring for children in the womb and and women that are facing unplanned pregnancies and so with stand for Life and my work there, uh, that's what we do. We try and equip churches and equip the the pro-life organizations that they can have resources to serve families well and and so yeah we we love being in that work and certainly that connects with our passion for adoption as well is because we care about women, um, having, you know, the opportunity to parent. But if there are situations where women are facing unplanned pregnancies and, and, and they're not ready or they don't want to parent and they want to make an adoption plan, um, we need families that are able to, to provide safe and loving forever families. And so, um, it's, it's just been, One of the greatest blessings for Michael and I to be able to adopt both of our children and get to be their parents. It's an incredible gift, and we can't believe we have the blessing of being their Mm -hmm. parents. So, yeah, it's beautiful work to be involved in.
0: But I want to go back to Ezra because we didn't hear your part of the story. I cannot imagine having this little one year old in your arms and you. Having to, in within two hours, saying goodbye and not knowing if you would ever see him again or hear about him again because of the yeah. what the court decided.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it was, there's so much unknown. And he had, so Ezra had been, as Michael mentioned, our son that we brought home from the hospital and had a great open relationship with his birth mom. And, and really for most of the time he was in our home thought that he would be staying with us. And so whenever we had the sudden news that he would be leaving our home in a matter of just a few hours, that was one of just the hardest, I would say the hardest thing I have ever had to walk is the loss of a son. But it was such a unique loss because it wasn't a loss to death. And I think, you know, people can understand that kind of a loss. Um, but this was such a unique situation that our son Ezra is still out there in the world and we have no connection with him. I mean, since the day that we had said goodbye, we haven't heard or seen from seen heard from him or seen him since. And we don't know if we ever will. Um, the expectation is that we won't. So it was such a challenge. And really in my work in the pro life space, I it gave me so much empathy for birth moms. And, you know, whenever birth moms are making an adoption plan, that is a beautiful and brave choice to give life to, to that child. And, you know, we wouldn't be parents without um, brave birth moms who gave life to their children. But certainly there's also loss, you know, a woman goes into a hospital and has a baby and then she, she's leaving that hospital, even though it's her... In our you know in our instance it was her uh, choice to make an adoption plan they're still lost there and so losing our son Ezra really only strengthened my compassion and empathy and care for the pro-life work and wanting to care well for for women for birth moms and birth families um, as well as children who need safe families and and loving families but it it, it was such a such a deep loss that was hard to really, I mean, getting through every hour. Yeah. yeah, I mean, getting through every hour was hard, you know? Um, and for anyone that's faced a loss, what, you know, it doesn't have to be the same type of loss, but just any loss that's just deep. Um, it can really feel like you're just trying to make it moment by moment. And, and so for people that have walked loss, I hope that the book will be an encouragement because we try and just share really openly about how we navigated that in ways that um, we had to come to learn how to navigate grief, which is never fun. I mean, that's like a, not a fun topic. No one wants to be like, hey, let's talk about grief and how to navigate grief. But it's we try and give some practical tools because everyone is going to face grief. I mean, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there is loss. And And so, how can we navigate loss? How can we navigate grief in a way that's healthy for us and honors the way God created us as as human beings with emotions? And that also points us to Jesus and reminds our hearts to continue to look to Him and trust in the truths of God's word in a way that, you know, even when we don't feel it, we allow that truth to sink into our hearts over time. So, um, hopefully the book will be a resource for people. Um, you know, like I said, you know, people aren't going to necessarily walk the same type of loss, but everyone's right. going to face unmet expectations and challenges and grief in their life.
0: Well, and I, I just think of that, it's the perfect metaphor and you had to, it's not, not a story for you. It's something you lived, but it was beyond your control. It's, it's out of your hands the authorities make a decision like that, and you could you run, you could hidden for a while, and that you know that's not <laughs> going to work, and that's not going to be good for Ezra either yeah. because of the pain mm-hmm. that, that you would take him through and then the other uh, side of things. So um, how do you—I think of Job. Though you slay me, yet will I, tr- I trust in Him. I'm going to trust in God, even if I die. I'm going to trust in Him. It sa- sounds like Michael. That's part of what you had to do every day.
2: Yeah. Yes. Every day. That's exactly that's the operative term. It's it's a day. It was a daily decision. I mean, from the the first day that we kind of had him. Um, you know, from, from our perspective, there's a triad when it comes to any adoption and we only intentionally in our book are kind of representing the perspective of the adoptive parent, but it, every single day was a decision to, um, try to trust God. And it wasn't like, it, it, it wasn't a perfect, um, oh, okay. You know, like we weren't immediately like content. We're still not content with what God has had in his plan. I mean, it's a grieving and a lament every day that we're, you know, even as we, talk to you right now we're in the same living room where we were when we had to sit down our daughter and and tell her you know Zion, sweetie we're we're gonna have to say goodbye to ezra you know in the next couple hours um, we're not gonna we're gonna tell him goodbye and we're gonna pack up uh you know a little thing for him and and the little build a bear that we made for him this last week that'll be our lasting memory she still sleeps with her little you know bear she called cuddles and so it's like those things like still are there the christmas tree you know are that we're up in our living room are still up now. And so like, there's a lot, and I'm sure for a lot of people, like the holidays have that sense anyway, even if you didn't have a loss at the holidays of, of having reminders of people that aren't there around the, the, you know, table at Thanksgiving or Christmas that you miss. And so choosing even in those moments to say, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know why you would have us go through this. I know that you love us. You know, I know it in my mind. I don't always feel it in my heart um but charles spurgeon that you know has that classic quote of god is too uh wise to be mistaken and he's too loving to be unkind and when we cannot trace his hand when we don't know what he's doing we can learn to trust his heart and so that's been for me just a daily um uh, battle uh, a daily battle to be in and some days it drives me to my knees and just feels you know crippling and i have to sort of excuse myself and get alone, you know, and just pray. We did a lot of that the, the first days as we grappled with life beyond Ezra. And uh, and then there's other days where it's easier and you, uh, you know, begin to turn the page and just, you know, cling to, I've got this hope that if I never see him again in this life, that um, that the Lord might give me the the prayers and cries of my heart that in one day in heaven that we might be able mm-hmm. to embrace not as father and son, but as brothers in Christ. So Um, But that's a, that's a a battle daily to grieve well and to cling to the hope that is in Christ.
0: Do you look at the street? Do you ever look, you know, and and this is only a couple of years down the road, but, you know, I'm just thinking in a, in a junior high school play or on a basketball court or in the band, or is he, Mm -hmm. that kind of looks like Ezra over there. You know, you entertain those kinds of thoughts, don't you? Mm
2: -hmm. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, certainly, you know, we, we don't know what the, you know, long-term outcome will be if we'll ever see him, but right. It's like, I mean, you never know what are, you know, the chances of running him Tim, are small. Um, he currently lives in a different state and so, but you know, you never know. We hope yeah. that we, we hope that maybe someday that happens, but you know, the Lord knows and so we just trust in him.
0: Beyond Our Control is written by Lauren and Michael McAfee. Let go of unmet expectations, overcome anxiety, and discover intimacy with God. Maybe you're going through something today that you feel like is way out of your control. I want you to listen to some of the folks who responded to my question on Facebook, and I want the McAfees to speak into that in our final segment. This is Chris Fabry Live online, chrisfabrylive.org. Beyond Our Control is the book by Lauren and Michael McAfee. You can find it at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. The situation that was out of control for their lives is probably different than yours. But we all have these unmet expectations, the anxiety, the worry, and this desire to, God, would you come close to me? That's why they've written this. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have them on to speak into what's going on in your life. I uh, I don't know if I just mentioned this off the air or if I said it on the air, but there's somebody who wrote, uh, I'm waiting for an MRI in the next 10 minutes to say I'm claustrophobic would be a vast understatement. That was from Cheryl. So I think Cheryl's already been through that ordeal today. Um, Amy says, I have a current horrible case of COVID that just caused severe body and brain inflammation. I thought I was dying. God is bringing slow healing. I'm seeking to rest in him. I know he's more powerful than this disease, even if he doesn't take it away. Patricia is going through stroke recovery. Karen is going through caring for her uh, mom Um, And then there was yeah everything in my life right now feels out of control. Christine says financial, health, family, direction, spouse, spiritual. It's all happening at once. It's so overwhelming. I'm hanging on to the hem of his garment, but I pray he is holding on to me because I'm so weak. So with just that, just the first four or five there, you know, that responded to this, uh, Lauren, Michael, what would you say to them?
1: Yeah, man, I those out of control circumstances in life and, and like all of those are just examples of that, right? Like those are so challenging to walk. And you never know when those 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 situations are gonna come into your life or when something's gonna happen and and the I have uh, my friend Dr. John Townsend, is a psychologist and has his PhD in psychology. And he was telling me one time that the negative emotion most closely associated with the concept of control is anxiety. And he mentioned that in a conversation one day and I thought, oh man, that is definitely true of my life. And so I hear, you know all of those uh, examples of where you know in those people's lives, control is something that is <laughs> feels like it's completely gone, and I can just feel the anxiety that I know could be surrounding each of those circumstances. And so, um, you know, for my own life, I've seen that where I was trying to cling to control and couldn't. Have control because, right? We're we're all people. We can't have full control. We're not God. Um, the only the only way that I can help ease my anxiety is to go to God, to to go to the Scripture, to go in prayer, and. That can, I I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but that can be really hard to do when you're facing those circumstances that are just so devastating. Um, But I love the way someone just said that, like clinging to God. And even if I can't because of my weakness, like God is clinging to me. And I'm so grateful for that promise that God does hold us fast. Like He will hold me fast. I I think of those lyrics of that song Um, because, right, we are all so weak and we're not able to do things. On our own, but thank goodness for God and His Holy Spirit in us to give us the strength, and and that the Holy Spirit, um, even when we don't have words to say, you know, we we don't know how to go to God. Like the Holy Spirit can help us and be our comforter and intercede on our behalf. And so, um, it's you know, continuing to go to God, to go to the Lord, and to see how is the Lord drawing me closer to Him through this painful circumstance that. You know, could cause me anxiety, but could also be a way that the Lord is drawing me closer to Him in a way, um, and to have deeper intimacy with the Lord in a way that I couldn't have had otherwise. Um, certainly, in my life, looking back on those circumstances, that I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have to walk again. You know, I wouldn't want to have to walk any of those painful circumstances. And I'm sure for all of those um, examples you just gave, those those people are not wanting to walk through those painful circumstances, but I can see that the Lord drew me to, to himself in ways, and I have a deeper intimacy with the Lord today that I couldn't have without going through those trials. I mean, whenever you walk through the trials, you you're you're forced to cling to the Lord in such a deeper way that, you know, in the good times, you, you just don't. Have the same appreciation for so, um, yeah. I hope that people will see the Lord is with them um, and is is holding them close, and and that the Lord can use that to to give us the opportunity for deeper intimacy mm-hmm. with Him.
0: Aren't you grateful for the Psalms because you just see this vulnerability and this reality and the lament and and not pretending anything. You don't know have to pretend with God. And isn't that part of what prayer really is, Michael, that just being real with him?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know in our own journey, like there was times when with Zion and with Ezra, there were times that I would go to God and I would be in tears I would times I'd go to God and I'd be I've literally yelled prayers in my car, you know, towards, them. I don't even know if I can call them prayers, but they at least reflect the psalmist in some ways of how they speak to the Lord at times of just, what are you doing? Why, why would you do something like this? You know, with, with, with Ezra feeling like, you know, Lord, if, if you kept Ezra in our house, like we're going to, he's going to grow up and hear the gospel. He's going to grow up in a church. He's going to go to a Christian school, like all these things. Why would you not give him that, that when we, you know, Uh, all of the struggle that we had to have kids and then in a whirlwind, you know, the, the, um, listener that you mentioned that has an MRI, like not knowing the circumstances, but I know for Zion, when we were in the hospital, just praying as we're there going, how did we get here? You know, like this, how did in less than a week, we go from, um, a MRI that was for just a, a potential minor issue that was no, not on our radar at all as being serious in, in any way. Um, Minor correctable surgery was kind of the worst you know, that was expected, and then finding out incidentally that there's this tumor that they've discovered, and uh, you know that we're going to have to do surgery immediately. This large tumor on her liver, and et cetera. And you're, you're going. I remember walking with you know holding my daughter and, and walking down the hospital um, hallway, and just that that old you know kind of, of, of um, phrase or whatever. If I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know who holds tomorrow I've just, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you brought us here, but I can look back and see your faithfulness. And so even though with everything in me, I want to control the situation, I trust you with it. And so for that person that's going through it, you know, just pray that, man, that you would have the grace to do the same, that the Lord would make himself, his presence, ready and available for you in that hour that you need it the most.
0: I love the way that you two have written this because it's back and forth, you know, and you will say, Laura, I'm going to get out of the way. I give the mic to Michael now here, but you just go back and forth and you're just real. And as you said a little earlier, this may not be where you are. But whatever it is that you feel is out of control in your life, I see another person here who says, I felt my prodigal had hit bottom and it's it's even further down and I'm so worried and I'm so heartbroken of choices made by this this child of mine. Whatever feels out of control, God wants to be with you in the middle of it. And this is a great book that will, thoroughly biblical, titled "Beyond Our Control: Let Go of Unmet Expectations, Overcome Anxiety, and Discover Intimacy with God." And John Townsend does write the uh, the foreword to the book as well. It's our featured resource: ChrisFabryLive dot org. Lauren, Michael, thank you. This hour has gone by so quickly. Uh, you you give the uh, little Zion, a big hug, and the new child, Zara, and come back and see us again. Thanks for being real. All right.
1: Thanks for having us, Chris. Thank you.
0: Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, online at chrisfabrylive.org.